Another week, another pod. How you doing, folks? It's Blamo. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. It's yours truly. Just uh, just living, living, living my life. Living my best life, I will say. You know, look, uh, it's it's been a good week. I've been doing all my fall stuff, um, having a good time. But look, I'm not going to lie. I got, I got some confessions to make. You know, what, what a better place than just when I'm here talking to a wall. I really am on, I like to buy a lot of vinyl. I do. But that's not the confession. You know, um, I, I, I tend, look, I'll be honest, I tend to purchase a good amount of music. But here's the thing. This is, the, this is it, where it's at. My record player hasn't worked in years. And I'm just like, yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll get a fix. And, you know, and, and when I do, I'll be so glad to have nabbed these LPs. Right? Right? Look, look, I just <laughs> I got to get it out there. I'm the guy who's buying vinyl, even though the record player isn't working. It's just, I just, I, I need the physical media. I want the nice artwork. Look, I even went a bit nuts during the pandemic, like most folks. Uh, and I was just, I was just collecting wax. And during that mad season, <laughs> there was one band that I became pretty obsessed with. Uh, they're called Nation of Language. And but coincidence, they're on the pod this week. But they're a three-piece from Brooklyn making some of the most dreamy synth pop I've ever heard. And everything about them, it's just kind of perfect. Their music is incredible. The fits, oh man, you know, if you're going to be a rock star, you got to look like one. The fits are amazing. And sheesh, even, even the artwork on their records are great. They just kind of have this, you know, rock star vibe. So fast forward to a few months ago, and what do you know? New Nation of Language LP is dropping. So yes, I jumped at the opportunity to have them on the pod. And I got to say, Ian Devaney and Aiden Noel, they're just sweethearts, like I love chatting with bands that are just a little bit oblivious to how big they're getting. <laughs> Seriously, like they're maybe almost even too down to earth. I mean, they're just great. And they totally went there with me. It was it was a good chat. But enough of me. All right. We chat their new album, Strange Disciple, getting emo on stage, riffing on the best audio gear, what they're listening to, loving Studio Ghibli and lyrics versus music. All right, folks, here we go. So thanks so much for chatting. I was I was just listening to your record at the gym this morning. Nice. Um, nice. Brag. Well, no, so no. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm curious about this. Like as we jump in, like, do you care how people experience your music? Uh, no, I mean, I think I the curiosity is the main thing that like I, I love finding out how people experience it because um, you know when I'm when sometimes when you're making it you you kind of wonder and you don't want to at least I don't want to like cater to any specific thing and so when you find out that like I remember one of our friends was like oh my god yeah, like I like same sort of thing like I exercise to your music <laughs> and for, for like so for right. for some people it's a very active thing they like to dance they like to exercise for other people it's a very sort of like headphone I like to sit and be sad sort of thing and I think you kind of see that or at least we see that like from the stage very often where we'll be playing a song and someone over here is crying and someone over here is dancing <gasps> and these people are making out and it sort of covers all of this ground that uh it, it, it's really special because you you really never know how people are going to come at it yeah because i mean i used to think that it was like i was almost a little bit embarrassed to admit to people that i like listen to some of their music at the gym but i also listen to it in the car <laughs> but you know and i've said this someone a bunch of people are going to dm me and hate on me as soon as i say this like whenever i like really get into a record i'll sit and listen to it i have a DAC. i'll go lossless i'll do as high of a res as i can and i'll sit yeah. in that chair over there with my fancy <laughs> overpriced headphones and my little DAC, and i and i just like lock in and i'll do the album you know 
from start to finish. And it's funny because now more and more people that I talk to, they're like, yeah, you can listen to it from start to finish, but like, you don't really have to. You can just listen to this song or this song. And I'm like, <gasps> like d- when you made your recent your recent record, like was it, did you intend for it to be experienced, you know, from beginning to end? Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of like, you want to leave people open to it to invest kind of as much or as little as they feel is natural. Uh, but for us, definitely when like the, when you finish recording the record, that's definitely not the end of the kind of creative process of it, because like sequencing a record um, is really kind of its own exciting challenge mm. that um, I think I can often be sort of overlooked but um, it's it's definitely something that we love kind of spending time on and, you know, you know so- thinking about the thematic rise and fall in an album or thinking about how it will feel when you sit down at, like with your record player and like put it on side A and then put it on side Ooh. B, like those halves of the record as sort of solitary units yeah, and yeah. then how they flow. Um, all of that definitely plays a role in how we perceive the album. Yeah, I definitely I often when I'm trying to sequence records i often think about if there's like opening track final track but also like end of side a beginning of side b um and those to me are sort of the the signposts that you you work around once you once you kind of settle on on what that's going to look like right um and then uh, you know surprising yourself is like with with this album the final track list came together at like the very last minute what Um, no week in your light like that had to have been immediately you're like okay we're starting with this (laughs) <laughs> well, that, that 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 one was definitely um, as as soon as it was finished in my head, I was like, that is on a very short list for first track of the album. Uh, I mean, particularly because you know, thematically, it is kind of the like the purest love song that yeah. the band probably has ever made. And I think on a record that is about the highs and lows of obsession or infatuation, I think to start with a with something very pure felt like the right move. Um, where it's like. You know, you're you're recognizing for yourself that you love this person or this thing. And then from there, things get kind of crazy. But there's definitely this one moment of just kind of like pure bliss um, that I think feel, felt like a very appropriate way to to open this album. Yeah. I mean, it's it's heavy. And, and sonically, too, as someone like I've listened, you know, to to all your your stuff, all past three LPs. And this is like a very tight sonic, you know experience not that your other stuff was lo-fi or subpar in any way but like this Mm. sounded really really i mean the the drums sound incredible i mean it's not overly compressed you know the mix Mm. is is it's it's very 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 good and i think as someone who's been a bit of like a music snob you know Mm. in a good way this album feels somewhat like timeless in the sense of like it could be something that you pulled out of like a parent's record collection it could be something that mm. you heard in a movie or it could be something like now that's new. And mm. I think that's really hard to do, especially with the type of music that you guys make that's like more synth based and and but I mean it's it's a very, very, very good record. And uh oh, thank yeah, you. I mean Yeah, I mean I think part of uh to me a lot of that credit goes to our producer, Nick Milheiser, um, who I think he he really values He did L C D, right? Uh, he's, he's in the LCD live band. Right. Uh, he was like one of the two, um, like core members of Holy Ghost before that. Um, and, but yeah, now, now he tours with LCD. 
Um, but he just, I think the way that he works, he's not obsessed with something sounding. It's, it's not like we want it to sound old and it's not like we want it to sound like today. It's really just about, um, kind of like getting to the emotional core of the song. And, you know, the way his studio is set up, it's just like a lot of vintage and analog gear. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the things that sort of makes it feel like it, like you say that, I mean, to me, it's very cool that to think that you, one might ask themselves, like, was this just pulled from an old record collection? I think a lot of that has to do with, there's a very high noise floor on this record <laughs> because it's running through all these old things right? and this like old analog desk. Um, and uh, I think that gives it a lot of kind of like charm and uh, puts it within a, a sort of context. Cause like, I think a lot of records that everyone loves from back in the day, when you listen to them, like the silent moments are not actually silent. There's like a tape hiss going on and mm. there's some sort of buzz. And I think, I think, Wiseblood is a modern artist who also has a fairly high noise floor on a lot of um, her songs. And I think that is part of what makes them feel like they could have been drawn from any time. Uh, I feel like people really yearn for those like technological artifacts, like whether it's a sound artifact or like when you're watching um, a film and it's actually shot on film and you can see those like, like little speckles. Yeah, the little <laughs> speckles are like the a, imperfections a cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. imperfections. They really speak to people in like uh like in a subconscious way not necessarily like something that you're actually looking for but something that like is a calming thing mm. in in a way it's like when you watch um like a soap opera and there is like absolutely no imperfection it is like too high death it gives you like a feeling of unease and and like like a little too hyper real and i feel the same way when i listen to like a record or a song that's like too pristine too perfect yeah. I, like i just feel a little ick a little weird about it and i i yeah I, I prefer those so those uh bands that use like whatever like analog gear gives it that sound or you know who don't like re-record vocals over and over until they hit all the pitches perfectly or yeah i just feel like that that the imperfections are what make it um human and uh what make it relatable so wait how much overdubbing is on the record then uh i mean in terms of vocally, there's not a ton. Really? Um, like we, we would only go through, I would only sing the songs all the way through a handful of times, uh, like three or four times. And, uh, there was, I, I'm not even someone who's like morally opposed to like, like not, if I like just miss a note, like I'm not morally opposed to like just getting it right. Yeah. Yeah. But. But Nick is, and he was like, absolutely not. Like, you're going to sing it in the way that, like, for it to be perfect might even make it so that it impacts less. Like, like reach for it and, like, give yourself to it. And, like, you know, it, if we wanted to go sort of go back and, like, repunch a line here and there. Sure. Um, it was always in pursuit of of capturing the emotion rather than capturing kind of perfection uh in the sort of like traditional technical sense technical sense yeah yeah for for listeners who are maybe like you're curious about this like mini records say like anything that's like max martin right it's like everything is like overly perfected there's pitch correction on almost every single thing stuff is syncopated you stuff's auto-tuned but like i think in you know when people listen to say like old dylan or whatever and you're wondering 
like why people love that so much. I think, yeah, you guys are, you're right. I mean, it's more of the, it's the human element of stuff. But I think in the type of music you do, which is very, you know, unhuman in the sense of mm-hmm. doing things that are synths and, and um, like drum machines yeah, and, and drum all, machines yeah. and stuff like that. It's, it's very, very refreshing. And I think like that's, that's some of the stuff, you know, that I was listening to over and over and over again, especially, um, Ah, uh, what's the track? I think it's is it I think it's called Sightseer. Mm, yeah. It's like stand out of the album. I mean like oh, over and over and over again. Like I, I'm like lifting weights and I found myself like starting to cry. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell's going on with me? I'm like, I gotta go back to Megadeth or something for a second. <laughs> but it was probably like probably <laughs> all the steroids you're taking. No, I don't do anything. I'm I uh, I drink milk. <laughs> all the steroids they're giving the cows oh, who are producing busted. the milk. Yeah. Um, that's probably it <laughs> yeah i mean uh i mean I, I i cried when i wrote that song did you to uh to, to paraphrase steely dan yeah which which it doesn't happen very often but uh, yeah that, that is definitely like a very special song to me within the album and uh but yeah like you were saying i think especially with synth music and this is a lesson we sort of learned live as well where for the longest time i wanted like absolutely everything to go off without a hitch no mistakes Oof. i wanted like to go perform and everything's just so like, right. <laughs> and like, that's just never, no. ever going to happen. And I think especially with synth music, you know, uh, people want to, or at least I, as a music fan, I like going to a show and knowing that what I'm seeing is really kind of like happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially with synth music there can be a lot of sort of mystery in that from an audience perspective and now at th- at this point uh like we we no longer search for a perfect show we search for a show that feels alive and that usually involves a lot of mistakes or technical errors um <laughs> or at least at least one <laughs> at least i mean almost any time i pick up a guitar oh. you know that something is Something is coming. What's something um, that happened recently, other than getting sick all the time? Uh, well, actually, this this tour we just finished in Europe was the first one that I have com- gotten through without getting sick in any way. Congratulations. Which, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. It felt amazing. Um, <laughs> and because uh, there, there's really like no greater, as someone that I feel like a sort of, sort of core tenant of my personality is I hate disappointing people. Um, and so you grew up religious? To, to be... <laughs> Uh, Welcome to the show. I'm a pastor's kid too. Here we go. Yeah. Um, I like as a singer to to be feeling like you're always about to lose your voice because you're sick. Mm. It just injects a lot of uh, anxiety anxiety into touring. Sometimes at our at our London show, we were playing our song across that fine line, which is like kind of one of the only songs that has a sort of like my version of like a guitar solo mm-hmm. in it and the, just the way the venue was structured it was sort of a two-tiered stage and we were on the upper one and uh our bass player alex kept uh like during little like flourish moments sort of like as a bit he would like step down onto the first one to like oh to like show off that, like Uh-oh. and he was like dude dude you gotta try it you gotta go down there during <laughs> during fine line and i was like i don't know man i don't know if i can do it but uh, i did and i like I step down, I'm in this like prime position and I come in for the solo just on totally on the wrong string. And it, it sounds terrible. And I was like, of course, this is this is when this is happening. When I'm like, here I am to show off and I'm wrong. How much yeah. do you think and people cared about that stuff? Because I, I always no. wonder about that too. I mean, maybe there are some people that care, but I think... In that moment, we were all having fun. 
like yeah yeah us three and like everyone that we could see was just having a good time and laughing and dancing because i I think people yeah would rather like I've, i've definitely also you know i have Back when I wanted everything to be perfect, when I would mess up like that, I would be like beating myself up so much. And I think as an audience member, you can see that. And it's it. I think it makes people more uncomfortable than uh, I think if you're like, man, it's like if you can laugh it off and like people want to have a real experience with you. And uh, making mistakes is human and it humanizes you. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, so I. Years and years ago, I saw, do you guys remember Damien Rice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I saw Damien Rice in concert and this is like the, the height of like the volcano tour and it's Lisa Hannigan and he's with the frames. Frames is one of my favorite bands ever. They're like, if you want some crazy crying music, dive into the frames. <laughs> anyway, um, he starts playing and he's going into something and there's some issue with like his guitar tuning. And he stops mm. and he starts. And like many, if you if you see live shows, it happens with bands on occasion where they, they just start again, you know. Yeah. But then like you saw him get angry and then you saw mm. him like walk over and try to say something to someone. And I don't know if someone was being scolded. I don't know what it was. He could have been having mm. a bad night too, right? But right, it was yeah. so awkward that like I wasn't able to enjoy the song versus yeah. a different experience. A friend of mine goes and sees Seal, right? Like, mm-hmm. and the Seal, the Seal, right? Kiss from a Rose, right? And <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> Seal has this like guitar player, young, young, young guy. Uh, I don't know, and um, he's not that good. It, it, he's <laughs> he's having some trouble keeping up with the perfect perfection mm-hmm. of Seal's band, and he's not doing great. And so Seal calls him out as he's doing great, and is like, "Man, listen to that guitar solo. That sounds so Aww. good." Mm-hmm. And like. Basically cheers the dude on and the whole audience is like fucking guys playing with seal kicking ass and it turned into this like incredible moment and and it's funny because I feel like yeah like what you were saying um like Aiden with 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 the imperfection stuff the like that is that's the stuff that I love when you talk about like a Mm -hmm. memorable show like yes there's energy yes there's stuff like that but when things feel you know I remember going and seeing this band and they would go out and every night their set was the same. They started, which is fine. I mean, you're in a like performance groove, but they basically just played the album from start to finish and then walked off. No audience Mm -hmm. banter, nothing different. And it was just like, did I just listen to a record with someone, you know, showing it? Like, yeah, yeah, it's so it's it's tough to find that that line because I do mm-hmm. understand that, like what you make is art and you want to show the art the way that the artist intends it. But music can constantly evolve. So I don't know. Yeah. And I think also that's something that the sort of like the pandemic and lockdowns, I think, highlighted for us um, was that like for the first time, not being able to actually perform the music. Mm. I was like, oh, this is like really it's like a distinct art from the writing and the recording of it that I think I didn't appreciate. I always thought of it previously as just, I wrote the songs, now I'm going to show you the songs. And uh, to appreciate that the the sort of physicality of it and the the way that each night is different in its own way based on your own mood and people in the audience and how, how they're feeling uh, really sort of made it so when we came back from lockdowns, I think we were all just so grateful for the live experience and wanted it to become something that didn't feel like canned. Mm. Um, cause I think, I think, you know, we, we often, most nights we switch up some aspect of the set list, but I think, you know, for, for some people like to do the same set list every night is fine because they are letting each, you know, the crowd and the venue, everything can change your relationship to that, to that thing that oh, 
Okay. On, on paper is like remaining the same every night. But I think I've, I've definitely been to shows where where at the end of it, I was sort of like, if I went and saw this tomorrow, I think it would be pretty much exactly the same. And that's not particularly thrilling to me. Um, and like, well, yeah, when I go to see live music, I want I want some kind of thrill. Uh, and like I, I want we, to feel like they're as present as I am. When yeah. we saw LCD Sound System do during their residency, when they do so many shows yeah. in a month at Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the breakups. Tours or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen them do that a few times. And yeah, every night there is an element of like something is going to break, something's going to go wrong. Um, and you're going to watch them like scurry around to try to like locate the issue on stage. And like that's just a part of the show. Like Mm -hmm. it's not like it really takes you out of the music. It just sort of makes you realize and appreciate how live the, the music actually is. And also they're really funny about it. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of, you know, it, it breaks down the, like the barrier, um, right. Between, yeah. between the, the artist and the audience, because, you know, you, you, you kind of, you can't, it's hard to stay all sort of like puffed up and like, I am, I am the artist. Uh, look, <laughs> look at me on stage when things are just falling apart. Uh, right. And so, you're, you know, you go more into this, like, look, guys, uh, I'm just a person. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I think, you know, that, that sort of, allows people to it allows everyone to just kind of like let their hair down and uh be in the moment do you feel like that's happening more though because you're playing bigger and bigger and bigger venues like this is not baby's all right anymore like Mm. this is like you guys are really doing it we are but i mean i I think you know it i think it it almost becomes more valuable to have uh, imperfections Mm. and sort of like bonding moments with the audience in larger and larger venues because you feel further from them yeah like physically further from them when you're like in a in a baby's all right situation where you're like you know two and a half feet raised (laughs) above them and they're like right in front of your face it's easy to make a like a connection and to feel like you are um, experiencing something as a group but it's a lot harder when you're like in a venue with like a six foot high stage and a barricade that puts them you know five feet further away from you so it's just like very difficult to like actually feel that closeness so when you can like stop between songs and like talk to them or right or stop in the middle of the song and be like i think we have to start over (laughs) just embracing all the those moments um, of like trying to connect makes it something that is actually memorable rather than just another night on tour. Yeah, especially with, I mean, because you don't travel with a ton of gear, no? no. I mean, no. It's a, it's a kind of one of my great points of pride, actually. How, <laughs> Go on. It's the logistics of uh, how concise our our setup is. Um, like for it's it's right there. It's in uh, four little cases. That's our setup. I mean, they're not that little. There's like those one, are dope two, cases, though, man. That looks like some like stuff like from Jurassic Park. Let's go. Three, <laughs> yeah. It's it's like those those and a guitar case that can hold my guitar and Alex's bass. Um, that's all. And so, yeah, like we, the, like what we bring on tour has evolved and sort of gotten better over the years, but it's always within the context of like what can fit in these cases. Oh, um, okay. So nice. We're getting some restraints so, yeah, here. Okay. It's yeah, exactly. It's like um and like the the gear we have is like it's like great because I spent a lot of time trying to find the right things that, you know, that we were able to travel with cuz I mean a lot of especially, you know, in the past couple of years, I think you've seen a lot of bands cancel tours 
because they were like, look, there's just no way I can like go to Europe for a month without losing a huge amount of money. And I think to me, that's not like acceptable. And so oh. like, well, like, no, like, no, like it's people okay. have to do what they, like, it's not acceptable for, for us. Like, that's not something that you're willing to accept as a reality. Right. And so like the fact that like we can fit all this into like an Uber XL and right. like get to the airport and, uh, and then like at the airport, like, you know, well, I'm a, I'm a Delta Sky Miles member. Hey, and there so he is. <laughs> I have like, I have like an extra bag. And okay. so that makes it so we're not incurring all these baggage fees where like a lot of bands, they tour so much stuff that yeah. there's no way you're blowing all of your money before you even get on the plane, just checking all your bags. And um, like to be able to be lean and mean, lean and mean. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a, a documentary about the band, the Minutemen called We Jam Econo. And that's always been something that has stuck with me that um, like what's important is getting out and performing for people. And uh, however I, you can make that happen. Yeah, I, I want to be as as effective as possible in doing that and not have to not see our fans because there's some like logistical or financial holdup that stops us from doing that. I feel like, though, there's a tiny bit of disconnect between how big your band is getting and what you realize. Because <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking about this, like, you, you just mentioned, like, Minutemen and stuff like that, and, like, the these, like, yeah, like, like tour hacks, which I think makes sense. I think a lot of people, there there's not, especially in this weird, prolonged P&L phase of albums mm. and, you know, social media and all this stuff, there's not so much a, I'm air quoting this word, like, the overnight sort of success anymore like you're grinding it out you're doing a lot of that stuff but you're you're steadily growing and i think like pretty soon it's going to be like yeah well we have this but then we have a truck and that's got mm. all of the visual <laughs> stuff and that's you know well well, I mean, I, th I think, uh, you know, we we try and take everything sort of like one step at a time and yeah, um, and ask ourselves whether I think there are a lot of um, sort of things that people see as natural steps in a band getting bigger that uh, are that I think can be sort of like questioned mm -hmm. in a way that I think I often try to question my own sort of, uh, you know, sort of like consumerism or excesses. Uh, but, you know, like we, we did, like we bought some of our own life that fit in a case like this so especially like like we we can bring some lights of our own mm -hmm. and i think the especially with I get the, the visuals are definitely, I think, the next step that like that's the next step I would want to invest in rather than sort of like adding a whole bunch of gear right. to Aiden's synth setup that makes us like double the amount of stuff that we have to bring around. Like someone who really knows the set who's on lights is, I think, Super a really valuable. exciting, yeah. a really exciting addition. And sort of that's the next place where you want to or that we where we want to uh, kind of invest, because I, I really don't know anything about that world. But like, you know, good lights when you, you know, when like that certain moment of the song hits. Oh, hell yeah. And and that moment happens. It does. And the lights don't even have to be complicated. Sometimes it's just, you know, I, I when we saw LCD, it's like the lights were fairly old school. But when the whole stage just goes like red when they hit the chorus of the yeah, song yeah. and everyone in the place <laughs> loses it. And uh, it's just like simple moves done with done with like taste. Finesse. Yeah. Finesse. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that's like the the next like very exciting phase to me is is augmenting the augmenting the sort of musical nature of what we're doing with um, those aesthetics. Yeah. With those visuals. Wait, wait, wait a second. I got to get my bids in on the bezel app, but more on that in, in a minute. 
I get all sorts of emails and questions from you all, which I love to read and respond. And one thing I constantly get and even read in the Blamo Slack is, what watch should I buy and where should I get it? It's a wild world out there with all sorts of websites and shops, but I go to Bezel. Bezel is the trusted marketplace for buying and selling your next luxury watch with expert in-house authentication on every purchase. First off, folks, it's getbezel.com. That's getbezel.com. But I use and recommend Bezel because it's the best of both worlds. You can go to the site and browse a marketplace of luxury watches, over 16,000 of them, by the way, which is a lot. And I know that Bezel is going to authenticate your purchase. Or you can create an account and get connected with your own private client advisor called the concierge. Because look, making a watch purchase can be confusing, especially when you don't know all the reference numbers. When was this made? Did they use ceramic then? Is it a triple lop, dingle top? You know, what the heck? I don't even know. But they do at Bezel, and they're here to help. Concierge, baby. Look, if looking for your watch to mark a special occasion, or maybe you're just doing research, right? They even have their own journal where you can learn all the ins and outs about Bezel and the brands and all the stuff that's happening right now. But back to my bids. Yes, Bezel now has auctions, and not just any auctions. They got Rolex, they got Cartier, they got Audemars Piguet, all the big dogs and more. So you can discover, bid, and know the Bezel team has got your back with verified in-house authentication. So visit getbezel.com on your smartphone or computer. Bezel, the trusted marketplace for buying or selling your next luxury watch. Yeah, because you tour with the front of house person. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a step up, you know. That was yeah. a huge moment for us to like, because the first tour we, we did coming back from lockdowns, mm-hmm. we did not have our own uh, sound engineer. And just like going on like a 30 day long tour and, you know, coping with like different like sound. Um, like the acoustics of all the different right. rooms. Like mm-hmm. it's really hard. It can make it like um, almost impossible to to do that when you don't have somebody behind the board who knows your music very well. Right. Um, and it was like taking an emotional toll, like for real, an emotional toll. So after that, we were like, all right, it's time. We've we've put it off long enough. We'll invest in bringing another person on tour. Um, and that was like the greatest decision we ever made. Yeah, because it's also, especially, you know, the, the sound man that we use most often, our friend Skinny, it's uh one of my favorite things is when you see you know people will have their like instagram stories after a show and every once in a while someone will like pan over to him and like he's behind the board and he's like he's like grooving <laughs> as though as though he was on stage and like tweaking things there you i mean go. he ha- he has control of the like like we bring like an external delay that he runs my vocals through so yeah. he can just do all these like crazy delay throws whenever he wants on on my vocal uh so there's like a level of creative artistry there that that we love to see and like gets us pumped while we're playing as well. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like, you know, another member of the band, really. On the gear stuff, have you kind of moved away from most of the analog things? I only say that is so my my dad used to be in a band mm-hmm. and he had all these like Moogs and, you know, he had like an Opus 3 and all these cool things and mm. and towards later parts of his life he was like oh man 
they were the worst things to tour with. He's like, because, you know, they, you would have to tune them manually in some cases. And like, this is before cell phones, but like, there would always be like RF issues with it. And so things would cut in and out and they would be playing like not massive shows, but just like, he's like, none of this stuff was dependable, but you know, and so even people I know that, you know, we'll tour with some of this stuff. They're like, yeah, we're going to use that on the recording and maybe we're going to go digital on the road. But I'm curious how that, how you've approached that. I mean, we uh, are, the sense that we use, they're all, they're pretty much all analog. Like, But I would say that the the difference between what we use when we record and our live setup is that, you know, we we used to use sense that I would have to do all the presets and like some sense even that didn't have presets at all. Mm-hmm. And like dealing with that in between songs took so long um mm. that it like really like like puts a halt to the energy in the room and now we use uh like midi to change the presets on those synths and like yeah. that step up really helped um like evolve the the live experience i think yeah because i think you know figuring out how for the longest time i really didn't understand anything about like getting synths to talk to each other um yeah that's an art it really is and like i'm still not great at it but you know to go to go full like nerd report we have like the the mpc live 2 is sort of the brain of the live setup and that's telling all the synths like this is the song we're playing so this is the preset you're supposed to be on and uh you know it's sent Sending MIDI notes to them so Aiden can just like twist the knobs and manipulate them in real time. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but then yeah. it also has, you know, so we have the like Moog sub 37. We have the the Profit, uh, Profit 6 desktop size. So it doesn't have like its own keyboard. So we yeah. can have a smaller keyboard that controls it. We have the Dave Smith Tetra. Um, and then the, the really the only like straight up digital synth is there are like digital synths built into the MPC Live 2. Mm-hmm. And so those can be played as well. And, uh, but yeah, like it's it's mostly mostly an analog setup and things chosen because they have because they have presets and because you can not spend all your time trying to like get all the knobs in just the right position before you jump into the next song um, like my my set lists used to be so like they look like like manic notes written <laughs> yeah. like, by someone who's lost their marbles. But like I, yeah, I had so much to do in between each song that I was always sweating. I was always like, am, oh, am I going to do this right? Is it going to sound right? And then like yeah. sometimes we'd start to play a song and I wouldn't have gotten it right. And this was before Ian made his uh, emotional change to accept flaws in shows. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd just be like so torn up like, about oh. it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really tough period. I would say that things are a lot easier for me now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I saw, um, the smile, uh, Mm, so like, and, uh, it was crazy because, so Johnny Greenwood's like playing these songs and they just pushed out a rig for him to do one song and he goes, you know, does this stuff. And then I saw like a roadie just pull the rig away and I'm just like, holy shit. Like that was that he has that on tour for one One song. song. That's bizarre. Yeah. Well, pretty wild it's yeah because in my head like i think that there's an efficiency stuff too that i think when people you know if you're a huge band if you're kiss right Mm -hmm. your budget in some cases is can be limitless because you're selling tickets for like two thousand dollars right and you can do all these things and you can do that but i think that there's a real real art of you know like you were saying with like kind of working with constraints still making an amazing live show which Mm -hmm. you know i've yet to see you all but from many people and i've seen you guys live on video it's fucking insane i don't know how you maintain this energy it's it's incredible well it's like uh it's like i'm listening to the music at my version of the gym 
<laughs> I was true. doing more than the gym. I'll be clear. Uh-huh. It's not just when I'm on this. <laughs> no, no, I know. But I'm, I'm just saying, I'm like, there's like a lot of like squats involved in front of a lot of people <laughs> as I am performing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and this obviously to, to bring this up too, I mean, so both of you, I mean, you're married to each other. The dynamic on the road, that's got to be a lot easier, right? Of just having you two to lean on each other. Definitely. Yeah, I think so. It's um, like you have all of the best moments together, but then when when something does go wrong, it's really nice to have the person who will like pick you up when you're down there, right there with you to like experience things with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I, I don't know where I read this, but it was like uh, there's some sort of natural balance when you're in a relationship with someone where like you could be having the worst time, but when you see your person having the worst time, like an instinct clicks in you and you like are there for them. Yeah, you, you, you like buck up to, yeah. Mm-hmm. to yeah. take care of each and other. And that really happens between us on at times on tour. Although I will say the the fact that Ian was healthy the entire last tour really helped. It was a, <laughs> a lot a lot fewer lows and a lot more highs. What's what's the tour regimen like? What's the day in the life of your tour in terms of of you know what you're what you're doing to kind of stay sane on the road? I mean, well, our health regimen has definitely tripled, quadrupled. <laughs> yeah. Ian spends like twenty minutes each morning, like, Just like taking vitamins and herbs and mouth sprays and because at, at some point I was just I was so sick of being sick on the road that it was like uh i went around to all my friends especially fr- friends who would tour and i would be like what are you secrets? like what's you what's your thing you do like throw coat. and <laughs> right and then i would just whatever they said i was like i now also do that and so i <laughs> i just kept like adding and adding and adding stuff and i don't even know maybe only one of the things is actually uh being the thing that is effective but um can't go back now yeah i can't go back now Oh um, man. But yeah, I think that besides the medicinal uh aspects of it, it's like taking time to listen to music that that you like. Yeah, like, sh- like sharing music with each other in the yeah, van. Mm. Listening to an audiobook together or a podcast together. Yeah, just like talking and and socializing with each other and like having laughs together. Also like trying to eat something delicious every day. Yeah. Um trying to like whenever time allows see, you know, we love the sort of like biggest ball of yarn in the world, sort of like <laughs> the roadside anything, attractions. Yeah, anything where you can like <laughs> jump off of the beaten path a little bit. Um, Which, like in Europe, is like oh, a castle. Yeah, and in America is like Abraham Lincoln's second childhood home. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still cool. But, uh, oh, so you well, went? We did. Yeah, yeah. We did. Uh, <laughs> where where are the Midwest thing. states then? Aiden, you're from the Midwest. Where's where's I the love? Am. We're playing Kansas City, which is my hometown, um, at the Record Bar, which we've played almost every time. Maybe every time we've I played think every Kansas time, City. or no, not every time we played because it's something very special to to Ian and I. We met at the Record Bar, um, like twelve years ago. <laughs> um, and then we're playing Chicago. That's actually one of our first shows, and. I mean, the first in Chicago, Shubas or no, no, um, Metro. Yes. We're playing. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and Billy Corgan Chicago. all over the all over the room. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean the tour starts in it starts in Pittsburgh, and it's just like Pittsburgh, Columbus, Chicago. Uh, it, it, I think this this tour is pretty fairly Midwest heavy. Yeah, um, which we always try to do. Like I, I guess I was just impartial to St. Louis, but I don't even I don't even think I'll be here when you guys are here. I'm in New York. But maybe that's why we're not playing it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, yeah, we, we have played St. Louis before. Yeah. Um, it was a really good show. We also had the best uh, Vietnamese food. Yeah. 
like ever in St. Louis. It's really interesting. Good. There, it's a pretty good culinary uh, paradise. I will, I will say, especially for anything that's like there's really good Eastern European, really good Asian, South Asian, you know, whatever. But I mean, every city's got their own bullshit claim to fame. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's because you're doing. I mean, Metro that'll be a killer venue um, i'm very excited yeah seriously i saw one of the pumpkins um like anniversary shows at mm-hmm. metro and it's just cool. freaking yeah it was insane killer killer venue we've only ever had really fun shows in chicago yeah we've, we've played all kinds of shows in in chicago we played basement shows garage um, shows garage shows yeah i think we you're played. past that now <laughs> <laughs> i would love to see what would happen if we tried to play like a backyard party garage show would be sick well it's funny because there's i don't know if you uh if you guys ever were into pedro the lion but like david bazan basically like tours by himself and you can just book him and he'll just oh, play wow. your house. That's cool. and, it's like uh, it's like calling up Bill Murray. Yeah. Doesn't he have like the voicemail machine? And like that's how you get him to be in your movie. You just like call and be like, Oh you shit, pitch that's, him. That's amazing. That, that's that's what I heard. That's the rumor at least. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, like you just, you know, I mean, so he does these tours on his own. I think it's because he's at a level of his career where he's just like, Look, I need to hit this number. And so he just goes on the road and you mm. you know, you book him through that. But I always think it's really interesting where like I, I do miss house shows. I get that like there's a, a an experience that you you know you want to deliver and that there's a certain thing but um you know because i think especially with like ticket fees and stuff like that over the years Mm -hmm. people have you know whatever because i'm trying to think who did i buy tickets to and i was like i just paid like 150 dollars, and they were like oh yeah we got yeah they were like well we got you know maybe 50 of that and i was like oh because that's the thing it's like yeah, I mean, I have friends in the bands and I'm, I'm like, no, fuck it. Like, I will buy your ticket. Don't list me. Like, let's, yeah. you know, and they'll be like, hey, tell me what the ticket costs you. And then they're <laughs> like, damn it, man. Yeah, um, yeah we, are, we are on a perpetual uh, crusade with our manager to, um, to fight. Like, whenever we announce a tour, we always try to get... Yeah, because uh, you're not a Live Nation band. And I mean, it's like everyone's... You sort of unavoidably end up playing Live Nation shows every yeah. once in a while. But, um, but, you know, we always try to have a sort of like pre sale that is like through our website where they let us sell the tickets so that it's like fees are reduced and your email address isn't like it like goes to us so like when you can just like we'll hit you up with the next time we're going on tour mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and if you want to unsubscribe that's fine but, but like, like inevitably they the they only allow you to sell like 50 of those yeah so uh. it's limited but at least you know it's a it's a it's a little step but yeah but we're always trying to be like and and um and this extra money that you're going to be charging our fans like what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Uh, like, why Why is that coming out? Because, um, I mean, I think a lot of people, yeah, they, they don't understand that it's, like, not us mm-hmm. doing that to them. Uh, right. Like, yeah, saying that some the weird... ticket is this and that, like, we're just going to be, like, pocketing all that money. It's like, that's that's not how it is. And it's the same with, like, merch cuts in, in certain venues. Which is super fucking despicable. Like, yeah. especially where that's where most bands will make their money. And when yeah. a venue has a merch cut... Or you sign some, I don't, you know, you sign a 360 deal with some label. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's like a Ferrari with a governor. Like, it's just, it's, yeah, you can't ever reach maximum speed if you're going to mm-hmm. have to, you know, sell a 
$50 t-shirt that you make $5 on or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I didn't intend for this to turn into a complaint session about <laughs> touring. I apologize for that. It's okay. Um, on, on some of the like music that you were listening to when you wrote this record, do you guys mm-hmm. have any records that you constantly revisit and go back to? Like, you know, Aiden, you were talking about, say someone has a bad day, you know, what do you put on to have a good day? Mm. I feel like we're often putting on uh, like Neil Young, Harvest Moon. Yeah. Or like like good a good oldies vibe, a classic seventies yeah, like, like California rock. Uh the band, although the band sometimes makes everyone in the van cry instead of feel happy. <laughs> that that did <laughs> Well, just on this last tour, we're, we're like driving around Europe and I was driving and Aiden sang shotgun and, and she turns around and, and me and our, our, uh, I like to call him our roadie. He does, he does many jobs. Our bass player's brother, John, she turns around and we're both just sitting there with like tears coming down our faces as I think it was rocking chair by the band is mm. playing and she was like what's going on here <laughs> yeah i was like i thought that we were having a lovely sunny day drive yeah, and we are we are having a lovely drive but um, like that that's a good cry right yeah, i mean because yeah. i i literally have a playlist of songs that i have on there that will yeah there's like some graham nash stuff there's nick cave there's mm-hmm. uh you know, that I'll put on and I am weeping. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, I love it. It's, uh, I, yeah, sometimes it just makes you feel very alive. Um, but yeah, also I think if I'm like, if I'm trying to get like more like sort of like pumped up, I think the uh, Remain in Light by Talking Heads was definitely an album that I was listening to a lot while working on this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I just, it's sort of in the, I feel like I have a sort of pantheon of, of like classics in my head that are, always influences whether or not they those sort of like sonically work their way into the music they like some records just feel very ambitious and you want to try to reach for ambition as well and so mm-hmm. it's like remain in light or loveless by my bloody valentine born to run bruce springsteen uh which actually a lot of these including the next one i think of man machine by Kraftwerk. uh i think those are most if not all eight song records which is also a dream of mine one day to make a record that's only eight tracks long. That was the mid attack is you, you made an LP with eight tracks. Well, <laughs> I mean, when you can do it and it really, you know, let's dance by David Bowie's another eight song uh-huh. record. That's like amazing. Um, well, like when it's pulled off and it, you're just like every single song on this is absolutely killer. And in the words of some 41, no filler, um, <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> There's something so satisfying about that as a listener, where it just feels like each song is is really just like a pillar that holds the whole structure up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think I just always go back to to all of those records. I sent this record to a friend of mine, your new record, and he was like, "Oh, dude, this sounds like the soundtrack to Labyrinth 2. No. <laughs> and I was like, "Wait a second, oh man, you're right." Because that's and, amazing. And, I mean, and he it wasn't a it wasn't like a, a dig at all. He, it, I mean, because I was <laughs> like, "Oh shit, like it's so good." I I went. And then revisited the the Bowie songs from, you know, like Dance Magic Dance and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. Chili like, Down is like, <laughs> Chili Down is an amazing song yeah. from the Labyrinth Soundcheck. It's, it's, when it hits that chorus, it's <laughs> the, What's the other one? It's, it's 
Oh, it's called Underground. It's so good. Yeah, what a soundtrack. I know. It's it's freaking good. Do you do you all um do you all see yourselves like throwing some of your songs out there for like commercials and stuff or is that like how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think um however you can reach more people is absolutely valuable, I'd say. Unless within it's for, reason. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> like BlackRock or something. Yeah, as long as it's not something that's yeah, like perpetuating Morally. some sort of hate or something. Yes. We're waiting on our like car commercial payday. <laughs> oh, it's there's it's got to be there. Or like um, one thing that I've always thought would be really amazing is um, you know, there's like us there'll be like a song that gets used in like the season finale of some show oh yeah that then just becomes like immortalized forever i've always thought that i mean like i want to have the like blonde redhead rick and morty like (laughs) perfect moment like yes or like the i was thinking the like "Mm, what you say (laughs) (laughs) i always get this concept of like last episode of a season mixed up with just like the whole garden state soundtrack Yeah, or like any song that of Nick Cave's that they use in Peaky Blinders. Oh my just god. Like, you you want to be associated with like some badass like <laughs> moment that just like gets people really fucking pumped up. Yeah, I mean specifically if it if it can be something that is within a creative context, I think that is ultimately Ideal. the most the the most special thing is to be able to feel like you've contributed to someone else's creative endeavor yeah. is is really valuable. Um, you know. When you write your songs, do you do you see movies? Or is there a movie or something in your head when you do it? Because a lot of your stuff does feel very cinematic. I would say never, like, never specifically a movie, but I definitely do try. Like, I think I, like, I really love listening to movie scores. And I think Mm. that, um, I think that I'm often searching for the sort of, like, deliverance that you can feel Mm -hmm. um, when, when you're watching a movie and the music just comes in in this way that totally overwhelms you. Um, That sort of payoff is definitely something to reach for what are, you, what are your top movie scores um i think the thin red line the terrence Ooh, malick movie Ooh, okay uh, i mean that's just one of my f- favorite movies full stop but uh yeah well like, connect the dots for me on that i mean i have always been like uh you know love like reading books about world war ii and stuff um mm-hmm. and so it you know it's a world war ii movie but presented in a much different way than pretty much any other world war ii movie i've seen where it's it's really like the juxtaposition of the natural world and and the human world and and it's got this like huge cast and it's just seeing all the different ways in which people kind of mentally suffer in combat and how everyone's trying to navigate it in their own way. And um, it's there's like a a sort of ambient quality to the movie that's like punctuated by sort of intense violence and battle that uh, really... It, I mean, it, it's I mean, yeah. it's it's a fantastic movie, and yeah. Hans Zimmer scores. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty incredible. Aiden, what about you? Mm, I think that the one uh, film score that I ever had like on an on an iPod or like my phone, whenever you would actually download music instead of just stream it, was the My Neighbor Totoro soundtrack. Oh, the okay. The score of that film yeah. is like so good. It's really good, and I would just be like walking around, like walking to the train, like listening to those those like movements. Uh, really, is like I mean, yeah, every every dream-like. Studio Ghibli movie just has such a such a fun. And, and great soundtrack. Yeah, damn. I don't know. I I always fall into Max Richter stuff, mm. but it's it's usually yeah. I like I got into a Max Richter kick when I was running a lot. Mm. 
And I would listen to Max Richter and I was like, I don't know, somehow pretending I was like running off to heaven or some shit. And then I'm like running and crying, you know, or like Seeger Roast when I run, which is also, yeah. oh yeah, it's like, yeah, kind you're of, just like ascending. Yeah, I know. I'm like, here it comes. Here it comes. You think it's going to go? I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go faster now. And it's like half throw up. Yeah. yeah, no, there's, I think that there's like, cause, yeah, because when I was listening to your record, I was like, man, so much of this stuff felt like so cinematic. I, I think especially Sightseer too, like for me, where I was like, oh, there's this like breakdown here mm. that really feels, you know, like the, it was just something important, more important than whatever you were saying, mm. which I think is, I think is one of the, one of my favorite qualities of, of your guys' music is that like I can listen to the lyrics and like actually be inspired by something, but I can also tune your lyrics out yeah. and still feel a heavy emotion. And I think that's just a really rare thing with a lot of bands. I mean, yeah, I think I, tr I try to, a lot of the music that I have been drawn to throughout my life has been music where, you know, like, I don't think I could tell you a single My Bloody Valentine lyric. <laughs> Yeah, me either. Somehow I'm still singing along when I'm listening to it. But uh, it's like I, I've always wanted to be able to deliver on that the sort of like melodic emotional front first. And mm -hmm. if you can, you know, uh, so often I've had the experience where I don't know any of a band's lyrics, but I'm like really moved by the music. And then I look them up and they're like really great lyrics. And you're like, well, now this thing that I thought I loved is now elevated to a level <laughs> that I didn't even know I could reach. Um, and so that's that's always sort of like the, the holy grail to strive towards is to be able to deliver on kind of any front that a person would approach the, the music from. Because I know some of my friends are like, the first thing they do when they think they might like a song is look up the lyrics. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, you definitely want to d deliver in that way. But for some people, lyrics really kind of don't matter at all for, for some listeners. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had the, the opposite happen where like there's music that I've listened to and I'm like, oh, I'm going to look up these lyrics. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was not that was not the intention. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'll just live in the ignorance, you know. Yeah, but or, well, I mean, what yeah. I like to do um, is, especially if I thought a lyric might have been one thing, and then I'm totally wrong, is I'll be like, well, I'm just gonna write down in my notes what what <laughs> I thought it was, and now that's gonna be one of my lyrics. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. That I think that's. I mean, Paul Simon used to do that all the time. Yeah, you gotta you gotta use use whatever you can. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're start we're starting to wrap here. I you guys have been very generous with your time. Um, is there any sort of like to kind of do like a quick rapid fire, you know, from the synth game and from the gear game? Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of stuff that you've looked at that you think is uh, you know, for some people like the Holy Grail is like the mini mode, right? Right. Like what are your what's the over and under on some of this gear? Like if if you're because I think you guys are at a level now too where like people are like covering your songs on YouTube and stuff like that. What what sort of stuff would you say to them? in terms of uh, making it all about the gear? Um, I mean, like for me, I would say the, the Minimo was always my holy grail. And uh, I recently just like bit the bullet and bought one. <laughs> uh, and because I mean, it, it's on like in some form, it's on all of our recordings, whether that's like sometimes it's there in like a software emulation. Sometimes yeah. it's there as like the Behringer clone. Mm. Like most often it's there as the actual genuine article. 
But yeah, um, it's it's one of those things that, you know, as someone who is kind of always looking for inspiration, when I just look at it, I'm like, I want to make music with that thing. And so I think and any any piece of gear, it like it doesn't have to be fancy, uh, but like anything that when you look at it, it just like fills you with a desire to create something I think is some is worthwhile and something to kind of chase. And actually, probably the, the less fancy it is, the better for for your wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely don't feel like I like now that I have that, I don't feel like um, I need to get a bunch of other insanely expensive things uh, because that was my sort of holy grail. And um, so you're yeah, out. Yeah. Game now over. I, I was uh, <laughs> right after I got it, I was having a call with my manager and he was like, all right, so like, let's, you know, let's just generally talk through like what our goals are for the next year. And I was like, oh, no, I, I have it. I got the mini mug. So like, <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he was like, do not play with me. Don't say that to me. <laughs> like, no, 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 we're good. There's, there's no other, there's no other thing to aspire for. Yeah. Got the gear. <laughs> what about you, Aiden? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I am a, I'm a real uh, noob, really. Like, still to this day, I don't really know much about synthesizers, but I do love playing the sub uh, subsequent 37 that we use on stage. Yeah. Um, it's like, it was easier for me to learn than most other synths, and, like, I still feel really, um, like, inspired by it when we're playing uh-huh. live, and, like, I can always find, like, a, a new, like, twist of a knob that, like, makes a moment in a song something, like, really special. So I would say that one is like you know no, i wouldn't call it underrated but i would say i rate it highly <laughs> yeah is there any gear that's overrated like i will say the line 6 dl4 which mm-hmm. i mean i remember back in the day when i used to play more um it would break all the time and so like band i mean like bradford cox of deer hunter had four that he would carry <laughs> because they would all i mean it was such a good pedal because you could loop it was a great delay pedal it had tap uh-huh. delay it had tap loop all these sorts of things yeah but um um, it would always break. Like mm. Leslie Feist had a bunch that she would tour with. So all these people would buy tons of these pedals because you could not trust it ever on the road. I would say um, the the SPD SX. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Is, so that's the thing that like in I'm any any modern drummer will have like the drum pad that's like just like a big square that's usually either like where a tom would be or it's like on the side kind of next to a floor tom. And it when it works, it is Oh, great. the Rowan sampling pad. I know exactly yeah. what this yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's one, and I I think they're putting out a new one. But like it's been the same thing for like years, and like no one else has topped it. But it's just like I feel like there are so many glitches that can happen with it, like misfires, or like you hit two pads at the same time and they both cancel each other out. And you're like everyone tours like well, we don't tour with one anymore because now we use the MPC to like have if we need like samples and stuff. But yeah, uh, MPC Live too. I rate it. <laughs> yes, it, it it can have its own issues, but but it it's an amazing machine but i think i i would just be so sort of like flabbergasted that uh like the spd is used by whether it's like a band playing at like the local dive bar or at like you know wembley stadium like that's the piece of gear that is like i think the most common through line between bands of every level and when we used to use it there would just always be problems uh and uh it, it would blow my mind but i yeah i think they're coming out with a new one and i hope that i wish everyone that uses it great success Um, and you know maybe maybe it will work its way back into our live setup one day in some way who knows but um, don't put that on me (laughs) 
Well, Ian, Aiden, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, this was great. I'm, I'm really, really, really grateful that we got to chat. Congrats on the record. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you. I'll see you. Likewise. Bye. Nice great to meet you. you. Thank you. All right, that's it for this week's episode. Catch Nation of Language on tour right now and their new album, Strange Disciple, wherever you listen to music. All right, folks, see you soon. Side to side.